Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. In this episode, we get into conversation with the one and only Oriana Lee. I first engaged with Oriana Lee in Santa Fe, New Mexico, while doing sound production for Wiseful New Mexico several years back. I produced a track for one of Oriana's live rap performances, and ever since then, we have continued to support each other's creativity in various ways within our community. Oriana breaks down her love for hip hop in this episode. Oriana speaks to what it is like to be a life coach. We talk about identity politics, and Oriana reminds us the most important thing that we can do in this life is to trust ourselves. Oriana Lee identifies as an interdisciplinary artist of African descent, currently living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Shaped heavily by Black American culture, Lee's artistic lens is primarily rooted in hip-hop principles, peace, love, unity, and having fun. Artistic activism around human rights gently threads through Lee's creations, with traditional African culture often infused through patterns, symbols, and storytelling. Lee's contemporary art practice includes music, literature, performance, visual arts, recycled or upcycled art, installation art, and circus arts. Now at the end of our conversation, we hear a track that Oriana recorded with her son for her recent solo art exhibition. The song is titled Success, and it's from the 1010 Freestyle EP that was released in 2021. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Thank you so much for being here on Broken Boxes, Oriana. And um, I just want to kind of start by naming you're the person who taught me how to walk on stilts. You're the person who told me it was okay to fall on my face (laughs) and get back up and (laughs) just um, be awkward in public. And so I just want to start by thanking you for supporting that part of my life. And with that, um, can you introduce yourself to my audience, who you are, what you're about, and what type of work you do in the world? Oh, I have to first start by just saying that's so humbling. And it's wonderful to hear that. Thanks for sharing that. And I just have so much love for you and just glad that we're doing this. So thanks for having me. Um, I'm Oriana Lee. I am a human being of African descent. Um, I feel like I'm indigenous to the planet um, in so many ways, and I walk in between worlds as well. And um, also, I am from this United States of America, born in Tennessee, Nashville, raised in mostly, um, uh, I guess I'd kind of say like disenfranchised types of neighborhoods and communities and people who have often been known as oppressed people. I got to grow up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for a period of time, which introduced me to hip hop. That's been my life. Um, That's the core of what I do and representing all of those principles of peace, love, unity, and having fun. I feel like it came to save us um, in terms of humanity. So I uh, abide by those principles and walk with those tenants every day. In terms of heritage, it's really mixed, like so many of us, like just so many things going on. My grandfather was born of, I guess, mixed heritage, and his grandmother was um, just a straight up white woman. Um, And so it was interesting that they were actually free black people. A lot of people don't know that 
there were free black people, so to speak. Um, I don't always use the term black people, but there are places where it makes sense. And I'll explain probably more about that later. But um, so that was an interesting dynamic. But then the other side of my family was mixed black indigenous, black and Cherokee from North Carolina. And so um, my background in terms of what I've been exposed to in terms of ancestry has been really deep and tight in some areas and really kind of convoluted and not so understood and still figuring out so many of the other pieces that um, I haven't always known so well and haven't always been able to carry so well. So I think that generally kind of sums up how I would introduce myself, my pronouns. I'm open to any and all pronouns. I honestly prefer my name after going through many different variations of, of myself. I've come to learn that I was named perfectly um, and I love my name so much and I find that that fits in place of any pronoun, but if pronoun is necessary, I really feel like all of the ones that we use in this particular culture suit me and my expansiveness. So I'm offended by none of them and I receive them all. And you say hip hop is the core of all you do. And what are what are the doings of Oriana? Doings. <laughs> wow, so much doing. Um, so in terms of those principles of uh, peace, love, unity, and having fun, I think that um, I would say community is something I'm really driven by and attracted to, always have been. I've always been strong in community. Even since a young child, I was kept by community. I grew up in one of those communities where everybody watched out for everybody. And there you do anything, you have no business. You might get a whooping from somebody else's mama and then go home and get one from your own too. Uh, that's how much community was showing up. So I've always um, embraced community in that way. I've spent time, I guess, because of like conscious hip hop in the 90s being something that I was strongly rooted in, started being an activist and becoming involved in lots of different forms of activism. I think in my later years of life, it's kind of more centered around women and really just human rights in general. You know, I find that so much of what we're fighting for in these kind of broken, fractured ways, which we have to because we each have to own these different pieces. Everybody can't do everything. But really, it all comes down to human rights, comes down to the ways in which we should be able to move about the earth just naturally because we are and because we are love and because love moves in a certain way and should not be bound from moving in the way that it moves naturally. And so the community part, I think, has launched this whole piece around now me being this mother of five, which I never knew was going to happen, but all those community pieces prepared me for this community of my own. And so that's another big piece where hip hop is the core of so much because it has just rooted me to them so finely in a way that's allowed me to um, give them these principles and to see how they will flourish in them. And I was able to homeschool them all, which has been really great. My oldest is 24, my youngest is 14. And so I've been homeschooling for, um, this would be my 21st year. And this is my last year. So it's really great. Yeah, my 14 year old is, is graduating in December. And uh, so that's really exciting. And so what that's allowed is more time for me to do more art, which is another form of hip hop. Well, it is hip hop, you know, at the core as well, but it's different types of art. So I've been making more music. Um, I'm a rapper MC. I've been doing that since I was like 10 years old. I've been doing more visual art. I hadn't really done visual art since I was a little kid. Honestly, people told me early, like, you know, you don't really have it. You're not really cut out for this. Like, you know, so-and-so over here is the artist. Clearly that's not your lane. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll back up. Like, you know, I got this whole thing down. So I'll just run with that. But interestingly enough, because I wanted to start to do graffiti and um, I, that's one of the only elements I don't really touch at all. I've started with a uh, mural arts cohort 
group with um, Alice de Agua in Santa Fe. And um, by just starting to re-engage just pieces of visual artistry, something just unplugged in that whatever I had been told and had blocked myself, you know, through. And now I'm doing more visual art than anything. So, you know, it's one thing for it to come out, but now it is starting to come out in more of that hip hop style, which is exactly what I was wanting to happen in the very beginning. So some of the things I do hip hop. So how did you unplug from that conditioning of like you're not an artist in that way like what are some tips and tricks for people to like reevaluate like what we've been taught and learned and how to find ourselves again through art Hmm. great question yes um first of all um the leader and founder of alice de agua is a wonderful mentor and a wonderful encourager a chief nudger we call him Israel. And so I say I give him so much credit because he was so patient with me and so nurturing and loving in a way that that's what I really needed. And that's what I think a lot of people need. You know, as a life coach, I know that that's what people need in many areas of life. I just hadn't had the opportunity to apply it to myself in visual arts. And basically, it's a gentleness. It's a patience. It's a um, lack of comparison. That was one of my big plug pieces. That's where I was told that I didn't fit in comparison to someone else. So I always compared myself to others. So I wouldn't attempt certain things because I thought so-and-so does it this way and I can't do that. So I'm not gonna try it, you know? And that, that comparison they say is the thief of joy. So it, it, it's taking that off and just really allowing whatever to come to come out onto the page, the canvas or the wall or whatever I'm doing. Israel really encouraged this thing called asymic writing, which is more or less, I, I say it's a comparison to freestyle rapping, which freestyle rapping basically is just putting on a beat and whatever comes to mind, nobody's to judge you because it could be anything, it's coming out. And so that's the uh, approach with the asymic writing. It's basically coming to whatever that piece is and just letting it come. Basically for me, it's connecting with the ancestors and allowing them to flow naturally through me. And in doing that, it took my brain out of it. You know, the brain wants to dominate everything. And it just doesn't have all the pieces, no matter how much it thinks it does. And uh, so taking it out of the brain and kind of applying what I've learned in circus arts is that so much body consciousness is happening that we often ignore and allowing the body to become the art process. It just happened. So, you know, that gentle piece, that patient piece, and that just letting go of preconceived notions, comparing to whoever, whatever, just allowing whatever comes for you to be your art. Because with there being billions of us on the planet and however many have come in all of the world's lifetime, you know, or existence, why would we ever do what anyone else did? You know, it's so refreshing and reassuring to know we have the lane to do us because we're the only us that exists. Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's so important to remember nowadays as we're in this like, call out culture to call each other in to remembering that we are unique and nothing will be filtered like it is through us and the way that we process things so thank you so much for naming that and um, I just wanted to like tie into like a term that you used in this last um, this last moment of speaking life coach and that is something that I've also experienced with you through the circus arts is you held a workshop with a, a bunch of community members in Santa Fe and I was one of them and you kind of engaged in that practice with 
us and with myself. And can you talk about what that work is and how, how you engage it, what it means to you and how you work in community with it? Mm-hmm. Wow, I get goosebumps just hearing you talk about it. It's so good. I just love it. It's such a deep passion of mine. It's work that I never knew I would do exactly in this way, but I always knew I would do it. When I was a teenager, I said I wanted to be a psychologist. And that wasn't what I really wanted to be, but I knew it was something having to do with brains and emotions and working, doing that work. And then I hit crisis at some point in 2001 and I got introduced to therapy, had never been able to go to therapy in many of our communities, you know, around this country, therapy is not a thing. And in the black community, it certainly is not, we're not putting our business out there to be scrutinized or have our children taken away or judged or all the many things that sometimes horribly happen by way of sharing. Um, So it was a very new process for me, but in doing that work, I just absolutely fell in love with the idea that if I could heal myself, so could everyone else, you know, at least to some degree. And healing means it doesn't mean a complete thing that it's finally over necessarily. It means it's integration, right? So it's a different kind of way of looking at healing, but I'll use healing because that's our general term. And so, you know, with going through that process and learning that, I realized I wanted to be able to offer that to others. So I first went to graduate school to become a therapist. And it was going to be a marriage and family therapist. It was at a uh, school of theology. So there was so much just wild indoctrination around that program. I only had white professors. I only had mostly white male professors. And then they were super religious, like deep Bible belt. Southern Baptist, just so much dogma, you know, and not really just the program that I think I needed most. And I went through the program because it's what was offered and got the bits and pieces I needed. But through being in that program, I learned about life coaching and I learned that there was an alternative to being a therapist. So when I finally finished the program, um, I didn't go clinical. I decided I'd certify to become a life coach. And that process has been really wonderful because I feel it's different than the clinical work because the clinical work is bound by a lot of ethics, which is just all patriarchal bullshit, so much of it. (laughs) And um, I didn't feel like I could be human with humans under those conditions, so to speak. With being a life coach, I feel like I can step as full human to full full human and have that full connection with all the pieces and not all of those fragmented boundaries that are treating these different things. And as a life coach, I'm not really dealing much in the past while people need work on some of those past things. And there are people who do that work. My purpose is to help each individual be the very best individual they can be right now going forward. You know, And so the goal is always, how can we help you center you? And that's a little bit different than therapy work, because again, in therapy, you're taking on so many other perspectives, considering so many other people's ideas, thoughts, opinions, you know, hurts, so many other things. And just that centralizing work, I just find it's so important for the human to know that it's accessible, that that love for self, it's accessible, that knowledge of self, it's accessible, that intuition, that trusting self, all of these things that we want to feel whole it's accessible, but sometimes we have to do the work to get to that place because we come into this existence where everybody knows everything. So everybody tells us all what to do and gives us all these opinions and raises us in ways they think we should be raised and often don't pick up on cues of who we really are and those things get ignored or muddled or all kinds of things. And uh, so the life coaching gives me a chance to step to each individual or organization or whatever kind of work I'm doing on that particular front of just how can we be the best we can be in this moment? And it's just what we each deserve. 
Um, it's what we each already are, honestly. We each are our best in every moment. We can only be who we are and what we are. And there's something about knowing that and being able to walk in that that I think is really helpful for us. It helps us uh, be more gentle, going back to that word. That's my kind of word of the year. Just being gentle with ourselves. It's like we don't come with a manual, right? And we're, though we're all looking for strict instructions, you know, kind of going back to that art thing again. There are no strict instructions, people. We want that because we've been taught, we've been programmed, especially those of us who have come up in this technological universe. You know, my whole generation has been technology. I've been on a computer since I was five years old in school. So it's been my whole life. And so working myself out of that matrix has to be a process. And so that's another thing I get to do with others in life coaching is to help them understand that we really are inside and outside of that process. All alternative realities all existing at once. That's so real. And also, like my experience with your life coaching was in community. So not only was it reflecting on self, but reflecting on self in community, like how do we see each other? And that was so beautiful. And how do you work as somebody who is of mixed heritage, who identifies in a way that isn't the primary, I guess, demographic in the city with which you find yourself? Santa Fe is a very white space. It also has a lot of indigenous black and brown community members, but it, it is a community that does identify as primarily white in its society. And so how do you use life coaching to like permeate those kind of societal oppressions that you find yourself within just existing in a space like that? Mm, wow. I know, Ooh. sorry, it's a little deep, but. <laughs> so good, no, it's a lot deep, thank you. Um, I'm gonna first say it's for me first. And so I use it for me first. I definitely find myself uh, or my, yeah, myself, that's appropriate. Shoot, that wasn't a slip. Um, <laughs> in ways of having to navigate around constructs, stereotypes, things like that. So it's for me first, it definitely helps me uh, stay within myself and within the boundaries of where I'd like to walk and representing my best self, you know, because we have all of these selves in ways that, you know, we know how to go to different places at different times. And, you know, I know how to snap off and pop off. It can happen. Um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> having been aggressed so many times, what I've learned is that doesn't suit me. It may feel good in the moment. It may feel like I got something out, but it really doesn't suit me in every way because it makes me raise all these chemicals that don't feel good in my body. It's got my organs all rattled. My heart is doing all kinds of crazy things. I'm not connected in any way, you know, not grounded. So it's like, that's why that's not the best approach. So again, for me, it's the first way, but I also use it in, um, in definitely how I work with organizations. You know, I've worked with many organizations around here along um, the lines of cultural dynamics, their um, organizational cultures and how it reflects diversity or not, um, racial dynamics, so many relational dynamics. So, so many organizations here are actually looking for that work. It's really a wonderful thing. It's very different uh, in the South. That work was not as well received. So a lot of the work I did there was with churches or within churches that would kind of want these alternative messages in just a little bit, as long as I tied it to a scripture, um, you know, <laughs> but here the work is really desired. So I, there are a lot of ways that I find that I can um, do that work and approach all of these different pieces around the issues that we're dealing with in society. And with the work being so, uh, 
well received, so to speak, and heavily requested. I personally don't think I see, I don't think I always see it being integrated in ways that I would like. A lot of times it's like organizations or communities feel that front loading piece of they did it, they brought someone, they had it talked about, we had a discussion, you know, we addressed it. And that's the doing. And it is. The awareness is everything. It's absolutely a start, but it's just a start. So it's hard sometimes to find that even with some organizations, I'm coming back talking about the same things over and over or addressing it in different ways. You know, it's the same workshop. You just kind of different, you know, same suit, just reheated, as they say. And um, so that's that's a little frustrating because I just wonder sometimes about the programming and about the patriarchy and about just how deep these wounds are, whether it's really gonna, whether the change is really happening in discussion as much as we'd like to think it is, or whether there are some other things we need to be doing so much more of or along with to really allow the change to be integrated. You saying that just like blows my mind open to so many things that I've been thinking about and speaking about with community you know, around the nation, around how can we actually affect change instead of kind of just regurgitating like hot button language and topics and, you know, feel like we're doing the right thing because we have acknowledgement of transformation needed, but w then we actually don't take it a step further. Mm -hmm. And so I just really appreciate you naming that. And it's such a vulnerable thing to talk about, you know, and it, it, it makes me uneasy even um, because the work that I do, especially through this project is around intersection, is around the in-between, the gray area and how we come together to like move forward as human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's what really inspires me about your work because you're thinking about that too. You're not coming from a space of victimhood or trying to like be better than. You're like, how can we show up for each other? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just really refreshing hearing you talk about that and how you bring in um, life coaching into that. And I am witnessing it permeate your art also. Um, you just had an exhibition. I, I think it's closing this month. And I see this conversation happening in that exhibition. Mm -hmm. And so can we talk about that a little bit? I feel like everything we've talked about is happening in this exhibition from the very beginning of me introducing myself, every single word and piece of it, you know, it's just me, this exhibition. It's one of the most vulnerable things I've ever done. I, I really had no idea I would be doing an art show of any kind in this way. I've seen it in visions in my lifetime, but I didn't know what the work was. I never, I never saw the work. I just knew it would happen somehow. I just always visited museums and thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, but didn't really take steps toward it. I've taken drawing classes. I've done so many different rituals. I'm going to draw for 30 days and last for two, you know, <laughs> all kinds of things. And nothing, <laughs> nothing would keep buying all the best sketchbooks. And I would end up maybe sketching two or three things a year. So when I started this process of this, you know, cohort group, and we were just kind of drawing as we were learning. You know, um, the leader of the group would just talk and teach us different things and would just say, just draw as I'm, you know, talking and we work on different exercises and things like that. But out of it, I started really realizing there was something to the systemic writing. Like it wasn't just me doing what my teacher told me because he told me to do it. There was a real connection to it. So then I started doing it when the teacher wasn't telling me. 
and uh, <laughs> started realizing there was something more. So in this exhibition, there's so much of me. There's this visual arts piece, which is work I've done over the last five months. I started this process in May. And so there's 60 pieces. Most of it has some element of Sharpie. It's one of my, my primary, I just love Sharpie, so hip hop. But then I started branching out and working with a lot of acrylic and oil pastels and different kinds of paper, canvases, wood, all different types of different, you know, things. Some I have some upcycled pieces, but it was a chance to just allow this whole process of this visual arts me to come to be. Um, so the show is called 1010. 1010 is kind of a reference to um, some people say 1111. It's that same thing. Make a wish. And it's also a direct reference to make a wish you're in the dream of this matrix, um, the binary code, um, the zeros and ones. That is what I'm kind of reflecting is just being all in that and finding this beautiful piece somehow of, that's broken away from that, that's completely connected to my ancestors, completely a wish and a dream kind of piece. And that's what's being expressed visually. Then I had the wonderful opportunity to record a uh, freestyle EP with my son. Wow, just, just an amazing process. So he started rapping, I don't know, maybe about five years ago or so. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's been rapping for a long time, I was not hard on my son. And I wasn't just like, jump on this track with me. I'm like, no, put in your work. Like, you know, let me see what you got. And at some point, you know, he'd be like, can we get, you know, on track together? I'm like, I don't know. We don't like the same music. You know, I'm not, I don't just rap on anything. I don't just rap with anybody. I mean, I just don't. And uh, <laughs> at, at some point uh, during COVID, he was like, mom, let's just freestyle. Let's not even write. Let's just freestyle. And he was challenging me because I hadn't freestyled in many, many years. Certainly wasn't doing it really in front of anybody, um, maybe in the shower. And uh, it was an opportunity to explore that again. And when I started doing it, it just came so natural, like it used to. It, he, what he was saying came so natural. And we just made it every Friday thing during much of COVID. We would just get together and just put on tracks and just record. And then we ended up with just dozens of tracks and uh, decided that we'd pick 10 of them in this vein of 1010. And since freestyle is the version of the Simic writing, um, it went perfectly with this exhibition. So that's the auditory part of the exhibition that plays. It's about 35 minutes long while you're looking at the artwork um, in the gallery. And then I also made a zine, which ties into my life coaching piece and my literary piece. I'm also a writer. And so I made a zine that has 10 of the art pieces and then 10 just wonderful affirmations for any day that you can just flip to and hopefully be inspired. And uh, so that was three big pieces of me coming together in this artistic way. And, you know, I've always performed vocally. I've been doing that since, you know, as young as I can remember. And uh, I've been a writer for my entire life as well. But that visual piece coming together with it and being like the central piece of it is just what was so vulnerable and just wonderful to be able to experience and express. But I never would have done it without the encouragement of my cohorts at Atlas, really, honestly, just to have a community once again to be able to say you can do it. You know, you got this for doubting yourself. You know, imposter syndrome is creeping in all over the place. That is so true that we can be our biggest enemy, right? Um, judgment of self, not good enough. It's not, it's not my place. All of those things can creep in and having community to witness you is what does carry us through to keep doing the work. Because even myself, I can talk myself out of doing things like this is not my place. Like, who am I 
who am I to sit here with you and share your story and vice versa? You know, it's like we have to trust ourselves and community seeing us is what does carry us through. And I love that you talk about your family as the community that you created from the lived experience of growing up in community, how you can form that bond with your son through music. And can you talk a little bit about your relationship to your family right now and what else you're doing together? I know that you also work in circus with your family. And so just what that's about. Yeah, we do so many things together. Um, so all my family, um, so I have five children, as I said, one daughter and four boys and all in a row. So all of them have done something in circus. My daughter um, is more of a makeup artist. And so that's what she's done in ties of different shows and things like that. My oldest son is how we all got into circus. When he graduated high school, he wasn't really ready to go away. And so we looked for what was nearby and it was Wise School, New Mexico. And they were familiar with him from the uh, B-Boy crew that he was in. They used to break with them in their shows in the winter. So they already kind of had a relationship. So he started affiliating with them. I started affiliating because I didn't have the money to pay for him to go there and I needed to volunteer to pay for it, work trade. Um, but once I got in there, they welcomed me as a life coach. So I started doing things there in um, terms of life coaching first. And then one day I was invited to hang upside down and been doing it ever since. So, yeah. And then my son, um, Kush, is a technician. And so he does lighting for uh, Wise Full and many other theaters around the city, including Lindsay. And then my two young boys, they just do all the things. They're B-boys, but they're also all things circus they're aerialists they're jugglers they're unicyclists they um are acrobats so many of the things and so all the three boys who are primarily involved physically in circus are all acrobats and uh, my oldest son right now is actually going off just today to um a festival or I guess conference kind of thing that happens every year in Asheville so he'll be teaching there and doing acrobatics. So yeah, everybody does circus for the most part. That's been a really fun connection. But other things that we're doing together, we're just really continuing to build our force. I mean, energetically, that's really where we build. You know, we spend a lot of time together. I'm very fortunate in a way that none of my children have really left home yet. Um, that's so special. You know, that's old school ways where everybody still stayed around the same communities, you know? Um, the invention of transportation has allowed us to do many different things. And so it's really cool that I feel like my village is just continuing to grow and strengthen in that way. And I feel like that's our biggest force on the planet. When we're aligned energetically, absolutely nothing can stop us. We can do anything. We can overcome all things. A very unfortunate thing that I feel very moved and compelled to mention is that one of my sons got the vaccine last weekend and suffered a heart attack soon after. Um, and while it wasn't, you know, it didn't take him out or anything um, more on the mild side than, you know, severe, there's damage done and there's things to um, consider now in terms of his young life where he was a strong, healthy heart before that, never having any problems. And now this situation has happened. So, you know, one thing we're doing right now is coming around him, his family to just love and care. But I mentioned that because I think it's important um, on this subject just of politically what's happening around this, you know, whether you agree with it or not, I think that's each individual's decision. I speak often to how pro-choice is more than just about abortion or not. It's about the human body and the human body um, in terms of our, each of our right to choose for each of our body, all things. And so with that said, I just find it important to just mention that it's important to know that each of us know what's good for our bodies. 
And when you feel something for your body, it's okay to trust it. it, it sometimes it's not going to be the masses supporting you trusting that, whatever that decision is, you know. But this is an instance where I find that peer pressure is happening a lot. I find a lot of people, I've lost a couple of friends, um, both young men with strong, healthy bodies. Um, after they got the vaccine, you know, that was that. And so it's just important to understand that there are so many varied levels to this thing. And that just always going back to the intuitive piece, that's the human us. You know, we let the technology, the systems, the government, the forces and all the things get it in the way of that. And it's, it's a thing. It's normal and natural, so to speak, because it's the you know, way in which we're living. And we were who we were before we came here. We are who we are. We are tied to our ancestors. We're tied to this land. Um, we have these ways and knowings that supersede any of this other technology stuff or anything that we can even see with our eyes. And it's just okay to trust in that. That's some heavy sharing. So thank you for being vulnerable in that way with your family and what, you're, what you've had to go through. Can you offer any advice on like strengthening your moral compass that you could share out, like how to not give in to peer pressure, like in the political climate, but just in general around social politics? I think there are a lot of ways, but I think something very general really is having more ease around media, whether that's social networking, whether that's news, whether that's talk radio, whatever that is. I just think that there needs to be such a consciousness around the fact that most of us are off the deep end when it comes to that and there is no balance. I think starting there would make a difference because then we have more chance to be centered inside of our own heads, inside of our own bodies, right? We have a chance to hear ourselves. We can't hear ourselves if we're always having the outside chatter and the external talking, we never hear ourselves. So I would love to be able to start somewhere fruity and say, meditate, you know, breathe deeply. All of those things I teach. But you can't even get there if you can't get the stuff out of your ears and eyes that's even keeping you from yourself. You know, so that social networking piece, finding a balance in that, maybe putting a timer on it, you know, allowing it to adjust or saying, I take the weekends off or make, you know, maybe setting holidays that you take off or same thing with news, turn, turning the TV off, not always allowing the news to, you know, govern the day in terms of what's happening in the world. Because the absolute fact of the matter is, all of the things that are happening in the world are happening in the world. We are one, we are all connected and we each one are our own world. So going back to that self peace, if you're not centered in your own world, what are you doing? What are you doing having business in everybody else's business in the world? You know, it's just the truth. It's like a, it's like a minister, which I've seen many times who their house is running amok. Their kids are out, you know, called preacher's kids doing all the kind of business they have no business doing. And they in a church preaching fire and brimstone like they know what they're talking about. Get it right in your own house first. Get it right in your own self first. Then you have more clarity on even what perspective looks like to see others. You know, but that coming from a cloudy internal perspective and then seeing through that cloudy lens there's already a misfocus there. Then having all these external pieces tell you this, tell you that, it's just no chance in hearing your intuition, hearing yourself. So it just starts, I think, with just balance around technology is a great place to start generally. Uh, and I just feel you so hard right there. I feel you so much like there is a literal dis-ease in the way that we're navigating being in community with each other, especially as we've had to sequester and, you know, um, 
social distance, so to speak, over the past two years and finding what re-entry into society looks like, how, how we be in community with each other. And we have become more, more glued to our phones, to social media as a form of like gospel, <laughs> like just to bring it back to what you were saying. And so I really appreciate you offering advice and I would definitely take any more advice you have, have to give around how not to get involved in this call out culture where we do demonize each other so quickly without hearing the full story of like the complexity of each other's lived experience. Like, is there any tips you can offer? Hmm. Wow. I don't know right off. I have to think on that one. That's, that's really deep yeah. because again, each experience is individual. It's so many areas. It's hard to give like a general anything. That's why I said technology. I could say immediate general, because it's something almost every one of us deals in in some way or another, you know, anybody listening to this, it's clear you deal it in some kind of way. <laughs> so, you know, but it just so much comes down to the disconnect in each one. That's why my whole movement is human rights. You know, it's seeing each other as humans. It's this piece that we carry because we deserve it because we are, right? It's because we exist that we deserve love. It's because we exist that we should be seen. It's because we exist that we should uh, be compassionate and caring for one another. These are baseline things. These are as baseline as eating, drinking water, sleeping, exercising, moving your body, all those kinds of things, bathing, things that are very basic and foundational that are helpful to us in our best way. So I'm just always trying to center things around seeing the human. Um, how to do that though, because there are so many lenses, it's just hard to say without looking at, you know, a bunch of different specific environments, cases, cultures, but generally I think that's, that's the problem. That's the dis-ease. I guess we could call it xenophobia if we gave it a word. Um, but the dis-ease kind of is being disconnected from one another, that lack of community thing we talked about, not being able to see each other in a way you just spoke to how this distancing is only just, whew, it's made all that more intense. You know, our mental health right now is, I feel more at risk um, than it ever has been before because while these things, for whatever scientific medical reasons, I won't speak on things that I don't know and don't do, had to be put in place, they were all the very things that human beings absolutely need to thrive and survive. We absolutely need touch to thrive and survive. Studies show that babies who don't get that in early days, especially prematurely born babies, don't, do not survive. That's a need, right? They've been touching the whole time, some kind of body, part of the body, <laughs> you know, and that's a need that we have. So taking that away, taking away that ability to be in community, we need that. We are communal beings. You know, that's not a thing that we are supposed to live without. It's not a thing that's supposed to be put in a context of you can't do this for this period of time. That's why so many people are not well. So it's like, yeah, there are people who are dying from things that we can name. And there are people dying from things we're not naming, like depression, like heartache, like loneliness, like sorrow, grief, so many different things, just as a result of how they've been made to live during this last two years. And I feel like what's so inspiring about you and your practice is you're calling out art as a means of healing through this space. Creating mental well-being, basically, is like finding that space to create. And so maybe 
you don't have to speak about it because you're being about it, you know, and I really appreciate that about you. Um, so speaking of lenses, like how we see things through different lenses, when we opened up the conversation and you were talking about your identity and how you walk in the world and your ancestors, um, you were talking about the coding of like terms, like the term of black or the term of indigenous and all of that. And can you break down how you're feeling around presentation politics right now and how people are labeling communities and how that's constructive and also destructive? Yeah, I walk a fine line when it comes to the labels. Um, I wrote an article recently, pretty much just all about this, where it's just like, I find that there's a point where we need these breakdowns in order to each feel validated, that is totally reasonable. We, one of our deepest desires is to be seen and understood. Um, and there comes to a point where it gets to the other end of it, where it starts to become weaponized and weaponizing. And much of it is violent language anyway, to call as much as we use it, including myself and almost everyone that I know, it is absolutely weaponizing to put something or human beings in the context of black, white, red, brown, yellow. That's weaponizing. That's violent language. It was created out of violent concept, construct. It was made to divide. It wasn't done so we see each other in this great way of we're different. But no, that wasn't it. We know we're different. No one needs to tell us that. That doesn't have to be pointed out. We don't have to be put into these color-coded boxes that were literally along a scientific spectrum to know that. We know we're different based on our ethnicities. We know we're different based on our culture. The color of our skin is the very least of all of that, as important as it is. You know, but it's not important in the context that it was created to give us these breakdowns. So I really don't, I don't fool with those as much as I can help it. And I'm still always shaking it out. <laughs> Sometimes it just comes up because it's what I've always said. But I try as consciously, consciously as I can to not defer to that as much as possible because it is violent language. And it's become, it's like the word nigger. Hip hop took that word and we say nigger all the time, including myself. And it is violent language. We gave it a reframe. The same with the word queer. I identify as queer, but queer is a reframe of what was originally violent language. So many words are like that. And so I think it's important while we can't just go around policing everybody's language, no. You know, people let people say what they want, mean what they mean, know what they are, you know, attempting to communicate. And each one of us, especially those of us, specifically like you and I, who know we're breaking down the patriarchy on purpose in their faces, have to uphold all of the pieces of what we're saying that don't resonate. And all of those, that kind of language is all patriarchal. Any of the constructual language is patriarchal. It's meant to destroy and divide. It is not meant to benefit us or uplift. So let's create something else that reflects us better. Yes. And what is that other language space? Have you been, have you been dreaming on that? And can you share any insight on how to move past or forward from? <laughs> mm-hmm. So again, first and foremost, let me say, do what feels good to you, right? If any of those things I even said feel good to you, that's your resonance. So I don't ever want to speak any of the things I'm saying is some kind of absolute that I got it all together. We use the word advice. I really don't like to use that word so much because I'm not really advising. I'm sharing my perspective. That's just mine. <laughs> Thank you so much for naming that too. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But me personally, 
if you have ties to your ethnic heritage and cultural cultural heritage and can name that, name it that. That's clear, right? If you don't know, and it's more general for me specifically, it's only in the last 10 years or so I've learned my true um, heritage breakdown um, as it relates to the African continent. So I just started saying many years ago of African descent or melanated. To me, that feels good. That resonates for me. For somebody else, that feels yuck. You know, that might not resonate. So use what works for you. So again, I don't think there's just one thing. But what I know is this. When it does resonate, you will know and trust it. So that's the two pieces I can say for sure. Because a lot of times we feel drawn to something and we resonate with something, but because the masses aren't doing it or because someone else isn't agreeing with it, we don't do it. And we don't trust that it's for us. How you know anything is for you is that it does resonate. You feel it. Your partner might not feel it. Your kids might not feel it. Nobody else you know might not feel it. But if you feel it, it's your resonance because it's trusting, again, that we are each, as much as we are collective and communal, these pieces of individual makeup, so to speak, that's walking along these individual journeys. And we are absolutely the only one of us on this entire planet that's with us our entire lifetime. No one else. So trust that resonance. I really appreciate that. And I do resonate with like your perspective. And now I'm going to flip it on its head for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're so far on this journey (laughs) together. Um, Allyship and accomplishship. Organizations who want to do right practice DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then they have a hundred word limit. You know, how do they talk about inclusivity within these box structures? How do they maintain protocol? I see organizations and institutions flailing and I'm just like, (laughs) this is the complicated place. We can name ourselves and understand ourselves but these people are speaking on behalf of many of our communities. So where do we draw boundaries with them and how do we support them not to be super like racist and sexist? It's, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about because we're here, we exist in these in-between spaces. (laughs) And okay, let me preface, uh, because politics exist. I run a nonprofit organization. So, you know, there's so much balance happening here, right? (laughs) Um, so <laughs> what I'll say is this very clearly, my experience in running a nonprofit organization for the last two years, uh, an organization that's very, very conscious, an organization that's very, um, oh, it's, it's beyond the DEI because we know that's, we're beyond the DEI. Um, <laughs> and so this is the fabric of th- th- this organization's work, which is what called me to it. And it's an organization in this system. And any organization in this system trying to do the reform is an organization in this system trying to do the reform. And as long as it's in this system, there's not gonna be a reform. It's in the system. None of these systems can continue to exist if we want what we want to exist. They don't coexist. One has to cancel out the other. We're bringing love to cancel out the hate. Right, we're bringing the matriarchy, I wouldn't say to cancel out the patriarchy, so to speak, in harshness, but to cancel out this version of the patriarchy so we can usher in the divine masculine. 
right? So we're looking to replace. We're not looking to reform. We're not looking to restructure. One of the reasons I feel this political system we're in is so failed is because they keep bringing us candidates who want to restructure. You know, so it's like even some of the candidates who carry so many of the things I even carry, even like a Bernie Sanders, that's a reform. That's a restructuring. I'm for tearing that shit down. Oh, I don't know if I can curse. I didn't ask. Um, it's fine, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go off. <laughs> that's just the truth. It's not saying it in a mean way when they say burn down Babylon. That's a real thing. Like this shit is in the ground. It's enrooted. It's embedded. It has to be dug up. We can't keep cutting the grass. It gonna, it's going to keep coming back. You can't just keep trying to pull up the weeds and thinking we got it all. It's coming up over here. You know? taking out this piece of the cancer, it's now taking over the whole body. You know, it's just the way it's happening. So this system is so old and so deep. I'm not really about no reform. I'm not feeling reform. I'm about doing something altogether different. Now, another piece that I'm for though, is standing for what I'm for, as opposed to what, not what for what I'm against. So I've spent much of my life as an activist fighting against. I now find my energy is better spent standing for. Right, because then I'm no longer giving energy to the powers to be. As long as I'm fighting against, I'm giving them the power. I'm giving them the attention. And that's someone's place. Not to speak to anyone doing that work. Much love and respect for all holding that place because there's someone to hold that. That's just not my walk at this time. And I think a lot of people who don't feel they're activists in that way could look at this direction and maybe this could be their walk too. We all have things we want to stand for. And it's so much easier to stand for than to stand against in the body wow yes and i feel like there's an evolution too as an organizer as an activist as like somebody like waking up to themselves you know of how they're in relationship with community and how they can be most effective like i know there was a big part of my life where frontline work was where it was at and now i am in that same place with you where it's like there's people that can have the energy to hold that place and I can move into standing for things and generating like new new spaces like this where we can come together in new ways. And it doesn't discredit that other work and I love that you name that. I mean, I talk with Chinupa about this a lot, like true anarchy is everything existing at once, right? That's nature. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for going down that rabbit hole with me. <laughs> Thank you for thank you for opening it up because it's so necessary. And I mean, we keep walking in circles thinking that this other way is the only way. You know, this system is the system, man. It's nasty down to the bottom. You know, cesspool, just disgusting. Yes, I know. Let's let's make some freshwater ponds. Let's catch some catch some Absolutely. rainwater. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's a great idea that maybe that could be a general consensus across communities that every for every one of these racist statues that comes down, we replace it with a water source. Mm. Yes, there's so much like generative, like input and activism and transformative ways of thinking right now that are popping up. And I just I'm thrilled about as much as I cringe about the toxic practices of this like old guard and this patriarchy, I do feel like there's 10 positive avenues that are popping up and just witnessing it is so thrilling. And you're involved in one of those in the community that I also engage within. So um, 
I just want to name that. So thank you so much for being that for so many people. And as we wrap up, like kind of the, the final the final question or response is, is, is around advice. And I know you were naming that that's not necessarily the right term, but like possibly thinking about it as an offering mm -hmm. for young people who maybe are coming from the same places as you, from the same harm as you, from the same survivance as you. Um, what would you tell yourself maybe 20 years ago that you wish you knew? Like what are some seeds that you can plant for for those who aren't where you are yet. Yeah, I really think it's only one phrase, honestly, and it, it encompasses everything and it's trust yourself. Trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself. We are taught to trust everyone else. People do things to us in terms of harm that have us lose trust in ourselves. That's where the work has to happen around. Continue to trust ourselves no matter what. That's where the strengthening happens. That's where the, um, the building of our identities happens. That's where the, the confidence happens. That's where the, the, the self-knowledge, the self-love, that's where it all happens. Trust yourself, honestly. I learned so much from my children's ability to trust themselves. Even when I'm cringing that something's gonna happen, right? You know how it is. They're going to jump off the highest place. And you're like, what? And then somehow they survive. <laughs> they knew. And it's kind of that analogy in, in everything. You know, jump off those high places. It doesn't have to be literal, but figuratively. And trust yourself. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to land where you need to land. I wish someone had encouraged me to do that. What I felt I was most encouraged to do was never trust myself. So I always trusted other people. So that was a, there was a lot of manipulation, right? Or people could tell me all kinds of things that I knew I'm looking at. Like, that's not what that looks like, but yeah, okay, sure, right. Yeah, trust yourself. You know what you're looking at, you know what you're feeling. And I guess that to go just one step deeper as we close, trust what you feel. Not just trust yourself, but trust what you feel. Our feelings, and I'm not talking about anger or sadness or happy or joy, not those exact feelings. I'm talking about what is happening inside of your body as something's happening. What someone's saying to you, how that's landing. What, what you're seeing on TV, how that feels inside of you. If you're watching something scary and you got to cover your eyes, your body doesn't want to watch it. Trust that. <laughs> Trust what you're feeling because that feels like harm to the body. You know, we can try, we can teach ourselves to do so many things and, and now oh, pass and push past these things that our bodies have as boundaries. But if you trust yourself, you become more in tune with yourself, more in tune with your feelings, more centered. And then when you grow up to be the age that I am now, you make some of the best decisions you could possibly make. Mm, thank you for that wisdom. Thank you so much. I know I wish I had more trust in myself as a younger, a younger version of me. So. I, I really do want to call that in to anybody listening for for a way a way forward right now. And then the final the final sentiment is I, I generally ask this when I'm really inspired by people is your soapbox moment. If you could say one thing to the world and this is your platform, what would you want to say? Human rights are all rights. We are love. We are loved. We are one. Peace, love, unity, having fun. 
Thank you, Oriana, for being on the project. <laughs> Thank so you. Much. That was fun. Yes. That was good. <laughs> we just do what we do always. Awesome. Thank you oh, so much, Andrea. I'm so grateful. I this has been you. such a joy and just a joy to see you. I, I've been so disconnected from community over the past couple years yeah. because of COVID that just seeing your yeah. face and just hearing about what you're doing is just got me so inspired and filled with love yes thank you i appreciate you so much and so much love to the family yes thank you same with yours i know we got big crew <laughs> happening it's the best thing that's ever happened to me that's for sure yeah okay if it's a thing well let's talk it out Cause we're here hey, hey, you and crazy. we made it you the greatest we the best they tried to count us out y'all <laughs> left us for dead but here we are on the other side of what we call 2020 the pandemic year again we're here can you believe it you the greatest time to have fun Summer's cracking. You the greatest. Shows, live music. We the best. Get back to the new norm. You the greatest. <laughs> and right we now it's best. now. <laughs> and right now we it's now. Because it's always now. We the best. You the greatest. Mm-hmm. We the best. We're in the present. We're in the present. We're in the present. And the present is a present. But here we are on the other side of what we call 2020, the pandemic year. You the greatest, we the best. 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 You the greatest, you the greatest, you the greatest, you the greatest, we the best, we the best, we the best. Okay. Well, let's talk it out. 